the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. If you take the time to write a thank you note a day, it will be super cheap, it won't take much time, and it will just make all the world a difference in your practice. And if you start tracking people, eventually you'll have clients, and then you just stay in touch with those clients. The mistake I made when I started practicing was treating the lawyer-client relationship like a transaction, forgetting about that client as soon as the case ended and the money stopped coming in. And, you know, I, I look back on my practice, a thousand clients, I've stayed in great touch with the last 500 and it's helped me grow. I really feel bad about not doing that with the first 500 and there was a lot of missed opportunity there. Run your law firm the right way. The right way. This is the Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? How you doing, bud? Good, Tyson. I'm doing great. How you been? Good, man. I had one of those weekends where I just sort of chilled out all weekend, and it was great. What about you? Well, you know, we had our 10-year anniversary party last week, and that was quite a blast. I'm going to post some photos from it, and it was fun getting together with old clients and lawyers and friends who supported the firm. It was nice to say thank you to everybody, and it was a real good morale booster. Very cool. Yeah, it's, it's so awesome. I'm, it's a shame I missed it, but it was amazing. I made a special trip for your birthday, so I couldn't, you did I couldn't, miss, yeah, I couldn't miss a date night, so that's important. You know that. But Yeah, I got a question for you. So John Fisher posted your Twitter banner, and it was a bunch of people in the background. Was that from the party, or was that just a stock photo? Oh, no, no. That's That's been my Twitter photo for about 10 years. That's a photo from the first ever Muslim Day at the Capitol, where we had everybody down in Jefferson City. I gave a little speech, and then we took a picture with everybody on the steps of the Capitol. So that's, that's been my picture for a really long time. John went off the chain last night on Mastermind Experience. He was dropping all these photos and all these shout outs to everybody. I think he stayed up too late or something. <laughs> I noticed that when I didn't notice anything else. Anyways, do you want to introduce our guest? Yes, I do. I'm very excited to have on today's show our good friend Parker Larison. He is a personal injury attorney down in Louisiana, and he was kind enough when we were down at the Clio conference to come over. He, he doesn't use Clio, but he came to the conference and he was kind enough to take Amani and my team and I out to lunch. It was a great time. We had a good time at the hotel, and it was great finally getting to meet Parker. Parker, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, guys. This is a real treat. 
Parker, so you and I have chatted quite a bit before. I'm holding your accident handbook, which is one of the coolest books written by an, an, an attorney that I've seen. It's a hardback book, and it, it, it's really digestible. I really like it, so it's awesome. But I guess for the people that don't know you, talk a little bit about what you do and a little bit about your practice. Yeah, sure. Thanks. I'm based in Pontchartula, Louisiana, which is an itty-bitty town about an hour north of New Orleans and about 45 minutes east of Baton Rouge. And it's kind of a Mayberry-style town. Our population is only 7,000 people. And we're kind of near Hammond, which is probably a 20,000, 25,000-person college town with a regional Louisiana college right north of us. But I'm a small-town lawyer. I think I'm the only lawyer in our area that's a, that's a pure specialist that does one thing. And for me, that's car accident, personal injury law. So, uh, you know, that's what I do. I enjoy it. And, you know, I enjoy living in this tiny town that I grew up in. Parker, tell us about how your firm started. Like, when did it start and how did you go about building it? Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, I had worked with another firm running what was essentially a, they wanted a satellite office here in Ponchatoula. They had a large class action case based here and wanted to keep in contact with their clients. And so for about four years, I ran a satellite office for them. But it was mostly, you know, my practice in that it was cases I would generate for myself to work up. And then I went on my own about 10 years ago. So I've been here in Ponchatoula practicing for close to 15 years, and I've been on my own for 10. And, you know, like most small-town lawyers, Jim, when I got started, it was your classic take-anything-that-would-walk-in-the-door type of practice, you know. As I mentioned earlier, there had been no specialists in the area. I mean, I think, I don't know our exact count. We have roughly 200 lawyers in our parish, which is what Louisiana folks call a county. And my town probably has 10, you know, not that many. And none had specialized. So I would do, you know, DWIs on Mondays and wills on Tuesdays and, you know, so on and so forth. And then, you know, some years later, my mother would be involved in a bad personal injury case where she got involved in a wreck and really got her neck and her back banged up badly. And for me, although I'd been doing personal injury law all along, along with probably five to 10 other things, that's when that area of the law just got personal for me. And I just, from that moment on, I never took another type of case. I shut the doors on my DWI practice, which was pretty robust. I had written a book there too, and uh, all the other stuff I was doing. And it was a bit of a leap of faith. And fortunately, you know, it's worked. So that's how, that's how I got here today. So Parker, I mean, you are in a town of about 6,500 people as of 2010. I'm sure it's grown a little bit since then, but I can't imagine it's grown much. Even if I give you the benefit of the doubt of having 10,000 people, which I doubt you do, that's <laughs> still a small town. It's hard for me to fathom, you know, having a, a PI practice in just one niche, you know, just PI or any niche yeah. if it's just criminal in, in that small of a town. How do you do it? I think probably the key would be you have to lock down your tribe, so to speak, you know, meaning if I'm going to try to pull this off, you know, it would, I can't get all the PI cases, but I need to get most of them, you know, and for me, the key there has been a lot of community marketing and, and just focusing on putting a fence up figuratively around my town, you know, and trying to keep all the work here that I can get. Of course, we will dip into other areas for work, but the majority, the vast majority, the overwhelming majority comes from right here, probably five to 10 mile radius of where I live and work. So it's a struggle. I'm not, I'm not going to lie, but um, you know, you just, you just have to work at it, work on your business a lot and be very thoughtful about how you market the business. 
And, you know, I've been blessed. The practice has, has grown. And the book that you mentioned earlier is a big part of that. You know, it helped, it helped di- differentiate me from the 200 other lawyers that want the same cases I have. I mean, the one difference probably between being a country lawyer like me versus a big city lawyer like the two of you is that you can't really get many attorney referrals in personal injury. You know, the guy who does title work mostly is never going to send me the rear ender 18 wheeler case. You know, he might only get two of those a year or, or fewer. So they, they keep them. The biggest firms in the, in the parish that, that kind of you know, market themselves as business defense firms, they try to hustle PI cases too. There are very few conflicts. It's not like being in a big city where your friends at big firms could not take that great million dollar case. Here, you know, it's kind of every every man and woman for themselves, and it's really a fight. So it's difficult is a short answer. So where do most of your cases come from, Parker, and how do you keep track of the metrics of where your cases are coming from? That's a great question. 88% come from referral. Most of those referrals are former clients, and we kind of track them the old-fashioned way through a spreadsheet. You know, it starts with intake. You know, you guys turned me on to Gary Falkowitz, and I hired him this year to come in and revamp our intake system. He flew in from New York, and uh, we had a great, you know, day-long training there, and he's followed up since. So basically, everybody that contacts us, no matter how they contact us, online, on the phone, or or even walk-ins, you get walk-ins here in the country, we ask them how they found us, and we keep track of it in a spreadsheet. And that's where you mentioned earlier the marketing. We really follow up with those champion referral sources. We really follow up with them a lot and try to provide them with a lot of value. The one thing I should mention, too, is it's a very broad-based referral base. You know, when I look at my list, there are only a couple people that have referred me 10 or more cases in all the years. You know, I probably have 500 cases in my database, you know, since I started keeping track. I mean, maybe more than that. I really haven't counted in a while. But one of those is my brother. And one of those is my mentor, who's a late lawyer that passed away. It's a challenge. There are very few people, you know, let me look at the list here. I think I have 20 or fewer have referred me four cases or more. So it's it's a really short list of people that are kind of common, you know, re- referral sources. I have to kind of cast a really wide net. But fortunately, we've been able to do that. You know, my, my goal is to, to get and, you know, close about 10 cases a month and this year, we've, we've already met that goal, and it's still October, so we're happy with where we are. It's a pretty narrow list. And the lawyer that passed and, and sent me so many cases, most of those were when he got sick with cancer. And he essentially recommended me to his existing clients and transitioned his, his caseload to me. So the point's just there's not a situation where I have a great, you know, personal injury medical clinic across the you know, street that I can go develop a referral relationship with and expect, you know, multiple cases per year or month, it's, um, you know, we, we have to kind of cast a community-wide net and hope to catch what comes through. So I've got a question about your, your book. So sure. This is a question I have. I, I haven't written a book yet, but I, I want to. I know Jimmy's written a couple uh, books. How do you use them in your marketing? I mean, you get it done, you're right, you, do, you do all this work and you get the book done. I mean, sure. in what ways do you use it to market? Well, all of my marketing starts with my existing list. You know, I'm, I'm a believer that that's kind of the key to the tribe. You know, it's, it's so much more efficient to market to people that already know, like, and trust you. So the first thing I did when I got the book in was at my stage of my career, I've had a little over a thousand clients total. And so the first thousand copies were sent to my clients, you know, along with a thank you for supporting me. 
then of course I put them in the hands of anybody that I thought could be a potential referral source, local doctors, other lawyers, you know, et cetera. But the big key where I think it's probably the most effective is in our shock and awe package. And I'm in the process of revamping my shock and awe package right now without the benefit of a great former marketing assistant who's, who's had a baby. So it's going slower than I expected. But I think I'm going to be really proud of this shock and awe package when the new version is done. I'd love to share it with you because it includes the accident handbook that you're talking about, as well as a newer book we just got published, about an 80-page softbound book of client reviews and other reviews. So we've basically repurposed Google, Facebook, et cetera, and a few hundred client reviews that weren't online and put that in there for, for social proof, you know, to, to quote the Cialdini persuasion concept. But and it's got some other stuff in there, you know, infographics about how your case works, a manual so you can keep a journal of your symptoms. But that's probably the main way. I mean, when we wrote the book, of course, we did all the barnstorming you would expect, a book tour. Heck, we even got the thing on a billboard in Times Square in New York, which which was a big hit on Facebook here in Mayberry. I think, you know, getting it in the hands of the people that already know, like, and trust you is the most effective because it's kind of like, like a business card they're never going to throw away. They keep it on their shelf or, or somewhere. And I'm not deluded into thinking people read it. I'll tell you a funny story. You know, I dedicated the book to my parents. My mom, who I mentioned, was a personal injury victim. And, uh, of course, my dad. And I'll never forget, I come over to the house about a week after I gave them the first copy of the book. And there's a bookmark buried about 250 pages deep in it. And that was my mom who was just voraciously, you know, reading this thing. And then about six, seven, eight pages deep was a used red cherry popsicle stick, which was dad who tried a little bit and gave up, you know. But the point here is if you can't even, I mean, my dad's a literate guy. He graduated in English and went to Berkeley to study that in grad school. So he's a reader. But when you can't get your own dad to get through a book, you know, it's pretty delusional to think everybody's going to read it. I don't think they do, but I think when they feel the weight of a 300-page book with, you know, hardcover, they kind of just perceive you as more of an authority than you were before you gave it to them. And getting it in their hands is the key. So that's been what we've done. Parker, how did you get your book promoted in Times Square? You know, I, there, there's a service that will help you with that. And at, at the time, I had this exceptional marketing assistant that I mentioned earlier. Her name's Ashley Richardson, and she's a dear friend, and she's just awesome. She was a client before she came to work for us. Anyway, she figured it out. She's you know, a marketing guru. I can't take any credit for that. She figured out a way to get it done. But it's it pretty cool. And they take a photo of the book while it's up on the digital billboard that you can repurpose on social media. We just redid it on like a throwback Thursday a few weeks or months ago. And uh, it was a big hit all over again, you know, three years later. So uh, I highly recommend that. If you do something you're proud of, it's it's really as simple as Googling how to get on, you know, and, and I don't know what service it was, but some PR service helped her do it. So, Parker, what you struggle with the most, it seems like you live pretty laid back. I mean, I know I've talked to you several times. <laughs> you, you never seem stressed out. I mean, like, so what was it that you struggled yeah. with? Well, I think finding that balance is a struggle. I mean, on one end, you have the kind of philosophical decision. Because for us, we employ a four-day work week here at my firm, and we have since we started 10 years ago. And I'm also pretty liberal with my parent leave, you know, we've paid parental leave, which I take myself. Each kid, I did about six weeks each, making my staff a little longer. So I think it's 12 month, or 12 week leave at this point. But it's hard to try to figure out where's, like, how many cases do I need and want, you know? And 
you know, throttling back. And, and then when you do that, sometimes finding the right people and systems is a challenge. So right now my challenge is I have to replace this great marketing assistant. I have to replace a great legal assistant that just began law school in the fall. So those staffing issues are my challenge du jour. But I think they're really, you know, the big picture challenge is, you know, just where's the right place to draw the line in this work-life balance between wanting to carve out, you know, I, I don't aspire, you know, Tyson, I admire that you have the ambition to become the, the owner and leader of the largest personal injury firm in the Midwest. I mean, I think you can do it, man. If anybody in the world's capable of it, it's you. I don't share those kind of ambitions, but sometimes it's hard to know where to stop, you know, in terms of, of your goals so that you can be home enough or, or whatever. And, you know, it's different. Some days I'm happy with where I've drawn the line. Some days I want to move it a little bit. But it's a constant struggle to try to figure out, am I working hard enough to support my family and protect our future needs? Am I, you know, leaving the office early enough to, to be the dad and husband I want to be? That's really where my, my, my challenge is in figuring all that out. One of the things that I was excited about, Parker, when we met was your sort of little mini mastermind group you have going on down in the bayou. Oh, yeah. I was wondering, sure. I was wondering if you could talk to or tell our listeners a little bit about that. We call it Young Guns, and it sprung out of a informal lawyer mentoring group that I started probably five or six years ago. And I noticed when the economy went bad a decade or so ago that there were fewer firm jobs than there were when I got out of school. Now, my younger brother's six years younger, so I have a lot of his friends that were getting out of law school at a really tough economy, and they were you know, kind of forced into solo practice. And so several of them reached out to me to get some guidance on how to handle a PI case or how to handle a DWI case, et cetera. So we put together this little group and I started kind of soliciting big time speakers like you guys, you know, down here it would be federal judges or the head of the bar association or whatever, but guys that I thought would give them good advice. Eventually some of the older guys in that group who kind of moved on from needing a mentoring just expressed the desire to start a mastermind group. So we put together this group, Young Guns Mastermind. It's completely free and informal. But we, we have one live meeting a month here in my office, and most of the lawyers live out of this town. So they're coming up from New Orleans or in from Baton Rouge or other areas. And we also have a weekly phone call. And it's, you know, like most mastermind groups, it's about supporting one another to achieve higher goals and keeping everyone accountable for the goals that they set. And we do a lot of brainstorming. So um, several of your listeners, I mean, Carly, who you met, Carly Gonzalez, Mike Donovan, and a lot of folks that are in the Maximum Lawyer Facebook group, Andrew Legrand, who I think has commented, and he's, he's a great tech expert. Just a great group of, of folks, and uh, thanks for mentioning it. So, Park, you mentioned a little bit about balance and things like that. So, roughly, what percentage of your time do you spend on the business, and what percentage of your time do you actually spend in the business? At this point, I'm spending more time on the business than in, and that's kind of a fairly recent development. I have two great young associates that are in their second year out of school. One was my longtime legal assistant, so she's been with me six, seven years maybe. But they are now able to handle more of the caseload, and that has allowed me to step back a little bit and focus more on market. So I would say, ooh, percentage-wise, it's tough without thinking of that in advance, but probably at least 60-40 this week will be spent on the business rather than in. What I found is that all changes. You know, there's seasons in the practice like seasons in life, and you know, sometimes when staff moves around, it forces you to jump right back in or 
you know, when trials come up or, you know, big depositions or whatever. But now that we do nothing but car accident cases, our systems have improved to the point where there are not a whole lot of unforeseen emergencies where I have to jump in and take a deposition. You know, I'll, of course, do that in the bigger cases, in the thornier issues. But um, in PI, in screen your case as well, you know, you don't see a lot of summary judgment motions or, or big surprises. So it's, it's been nice. We're working on the business a lot more than in it. That's been a, a big key in me kind of being more laid back than I used to be. It's a, for me, it's less stressful than, you know, than trying the cases and handling every nasty deposition. Parker, talk to us a little bit. I know that you have some exciting news of your own on the podcasting front. Tell our listeners about that. Oh, yeah. Well, I was inspired by the two of you, and I've, I've started a podcast. It's called the Ponchatoula Podcast, and it will go live on November 1. I've banked probably five or so episodes so far, and it's been a lot of fun. I got to interview my dad for our fifth episode. He was uh, the longest-serving sheriff down here in my area, so he's kind of a, a much bigger deal than I am, or even my brother. And uh, so that was pretty neat. He told us all about his childhood growing up here. And I mean, and at this town, 7,000 people now, imagine what it was like in the 1940s and 50s when he grew up. So it's been pretty neat. It's just a podcast about local, really about the, sharing the stories of the people that live here. So um, I've really enjoyed it. And I got to tell you, for folks that are listening that are considering starting a podcast, it's just a great way to get in front of people that you want to without being salesy. You know, you, if you want to meet community leaders and kind of get them in your world, this is a great way to do it. People are eager to come on the podcast and, and be involved. It's been neat. We have all, over 700 likes on Facebook already, and we haven't aired a single episode yet. So considering that's about 10% of the town, I'm, I'm really excited. All right, Parker. So talk a little bit about the logistics of the getting this up and going. So I know a lot of people are interested in doing this. How did you do it? I couldn't do it without my good buddy, Ernie Svensson, um, better known as Ernie the Attorney with the law firm Autopilot Program. He introduced me to a guy named Danny Osmond with Emerald City Productions. They're located in Tennessee. But Danny is a podcast producer who just does a great job. He make, he has several packages, so to you know, speak. So you can, from kind of a more DIY end, which, which I decided to pass on to a more done-for-you method so basically i just do the recording on my end i ship it up to danny he takes out all of the ums and uh uh-huhs and you knows and crutch words and makes it sound better with some uh, good intros outros etc and i'm very happy with the final product and danny's been a, a real treasure to work with so if you're considering doing this and you have the means to hire somebody give danny a look he's awesome i couldn't recommend him more parker i think that you struck on something with your podcast and I think it's, I think it's really smart and, and good in that you're not going to do one about the ins and outs of car accidents. I think instead you're looking to become the electronic and audio mayor of your town. And I think that <laughs> with our friends like, like Bernard Nomberg and Mo Lilienthal in Alabama, mm-hmm. I think that they've really built a following of people who get to see you talk about something other than, you know, the minimums and maximums of underinsured motorist coverage. I mean, nobody wants to hear a podcast about sure. that. Sure. Sure. And boy, those Mo and, and Bernard have great shows. I've really enjoyed watching them. They've been, although they've never met me um, or I've never met them, they've been kind of virtual mentors to me, as have you guys. But you're right. And one of the blessings of practicing in 2018 is we have so much more data than we had in the old days. 
And for me, this all really sprung out of what I was seeing in my Facebook insights and metrics. You know, in the old days, I, I did exactly what you just mentioned, Jim. I'd talk about uninsured motorists and car accident questions, and put a lot of time and thought into those type of issues, and then throw them out into social media, and they'd go over like you'd expect. Nobody was interested. And then we started doing other things that we thought people might be interested in. And so, yeah, same thing. When we thought about the podcast, they encouraged me to do a legal one. I said, no, you know, we'll put a little brief legal ad in it for our firm. Maybe one day we'll talk a little bit about it in an episode, but nobody's going to listen to me talking about my job. It would be too self-serving, just too boring. And um, I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head. And I can tell you, in the, in the Facebook world, which is my primary social vehicle, it's really proven, you know, you got to give the people what they want. And if it's Facebook or Instagram, it's pictures of cute kids and kittens and whatnot. It's not talking about legal issues that are scary, like subrogation and uninsured motorists. All right, so Parker, that Jim's question actually triggered something that I wanted to ask you before. I sort of want to backtrack a little bit. Sure. So Charles Boyd, and I think, may run a similar practice to you because they're sort of bending off bigger city attorneys quite regularly, and that's why they do a lot of community marketing. Have you had anything mm-hmm. similar to that where you're having to fight off these bigger city lawyers, and if so, how do you do it? Absolutely. And I'm so glad you mentioned Chuck and Annika because I want to thank them. One thing we do is an exact copy out of their playbook, Bikes for Kids. I was fortunate enough to see Annika speak on that topic probably four years ago, five years ago. I don't remember how long, but a while back, she basically shared her game plan and I reached out to her and she's just such a giver. She's got that Bob Berg go-giver mentality that you guys do and have shared here. And she shared me their game plan. She followed up with my staff. So we started a few programs that are similar to theirs. We gave away 25 bikes this summer. We do a student of the month and a teacher of the month in the local school, stuff like that. Because a year ago, or maybe a little more, the largest advertising firm in the state moved in and opened a satellite office in Hammond, the little college town I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Well, that office is probably five miles from mine. You know, our two towns basically touch borders. So that was super frightening. It's like you're running this mom and pop hamburger shop in Mayberry and suddenly somebody opens up a McDonald's next door and you'd be naive, you know, to think nobody's going to buy McDonald's burgers. So we were worried. All the local lawyers were. And several of my friends really saw a big hit in their PI practices after they came to town. We didn't. We actually grew. We had our you know biggest growth in a while. And I think it's because unlike those other lawyers that had billboards and radio ads and stuff like that. We weren't focusing our marketing money there. We don't do TV, radio, billboards, et cetera. So, yeah, I think we've had to fight that. Of course, we're not as big and successful as Chuck, and our community is not as big as his. But we stood that storm because we followed his lead a little bit and used some of the programs he did and some similar stuff. All right, Parker, for my last question, if you were to present at LSU to a bunch of law students that were thinking about opening up their own law firm right out of law school, what advice would you give them? I would tell them to immediately put pen to paper on their list, you know, and for at that time, they wouldn't have clients yet. So it'd be friends and family. But I would stress to them the importance of tracking all the people in your life and being meaningful about how you stay in contact with them. You know, there's a great book, I forget the title, 365 Days of Gratitude, something in that ballpark where this judge and, and I guess at the time a lawyer and started writing thank you notes. You know, if you 
take the time to write a thank you note a day. It will be super cheap. It won't take much time and it will just make all the world a difference in your practice. And if you start tracking people, eventually you'll have clients and then you just stay in touch with those clients. The mistake I made when I started practicing was treating the lawyer client relationship like a transaction, forgetting about that client as soon as the case ended and the money stopped coming in. And, you know, I, I look back on my practice, a thousand clients, I've stayed in great touch with the last 500 and it's helped me grow. I really feel bad about not doing that with the first 500. And there was a lot of missed opportunity there. So that would be my advice. Be focused on your list even before you have a single client on there and you'll grow better and quicker and just, just thrive so much sooner than I did. For the, the new attorneys out there and the uh, people just starting their practice, I think it's really important to hear what Parker just said and really understand it because that is the a common theme that we hear on, on this podcast all the time is people talking about getting their list together. And that's really how Jim started his practice. That's really how I started my practice. It's just really getting that list together and staying in touch with those people. So I think that's really important. All right, Parker, we're going to start to wrap things up. Before I do, I want to remind everyone to go to the Facebook group. It's hop in there. Make sure you uh, request to join there. And there's a lot of great information going on, a lot of information about case management systems, calendaring, time management, whatever it may be. Uh, it's a lot, of, a lot of great information. And also, if you don't mind, please go and give us a five-star review on iTunes or your podcast. It really does help spread the word. Jimmy, what's your hack of the week? Well, you know, our good friend John Fisher always gives us great advice. And I took a page out of his playbook this week when we had our party for the 10-year anniversary of our firm. And so we were really lucky to have a lot of our friends and just making a big deal out of it and sort of promoting it. And just even just the act of inviting 200 people led to us getting some new cases. So we just, even the people who couldn't come remembered that they wanted to tell us about a potential referral partner or someone that might have a case for us. So we were just able to reconnect and talk to our list again in another way. And then, of course, the people that came to the party were excited to be there and they got to meet my parents and my kids and, and it just really built, built some good bonds. And then the whole team got to go up on the little stage and I got to say nice things about all of them. So it's, it was just a great event. John, John did that when he launched his book. And so any chance you have to throw a little party and connect with the people, it sort of strengthens the bonds of everybody. I really like that. And it's really interesting too, because I mean, you're communicating with your list every single week maybe even multiple times a week sometimes. And so for them to reach out, I, I think some people get worried that oh, if I send out this newsletter all the time, they're going to get inundated and just ignore it. Clearly, people aren't ignoring your message. So I think that's, that's really awesome. All right, Parker, so you know the deal. Uh, what's your tip or hack of the week? Well, I mentioned the importance to me of handwritten notes with clients and other contacts. And there's an, an app that I use. Now, of course, when you're getting started and you don't have much money, just go buy the cheapest, you know, pads you can get. But Bond and Bond Black is the iPhone app. It's something that I use to send handwritten notes that I don't actually write. You know, I can I can speak into my phone and use the contacts that are already in my contacts and quickly send notes out that Bond has a, a, a machine handwrite in my very own handwriting. They did they do a handwriting test. And it's really neat. Nobody knows they're getting a note that was written through an iPhone. Now, it's expensive. There's a less expensive service called Handwritten, where they use a Y instead of an I in the word. So it's kind of a misspelled handwritten. My friend I mentioned earlier, Andrew Legrand, uses them. It's much less expensive than Bond. 
I don't think they can use your actual handwriting, but they have like a stock male handwriting, female handwriting, a few options to choose from. But uh, th I thought that was pretty neat that Bomb Black can, can copy your handwriting. And it just makes it easy. When you're at the airport, you crank out notes just wherever you are. And it's really helped me meet my goal of writing one gratitude handwritten note per day. You know, honestly, Parker, I don't want them to copy my handwriting. My handwriting looks like a uh, fifth grader <laughs> is writing. So, I don't know if I want that. Right. But uh, it's cool that they can do that. So, all right. So my tip of the week is, so we, we, we talk about you know, goal setting all the time and 12-week goals and all that kind of stuff. And I think that sometimes we we don't hold ourselves accountable. So my tip of the week is to start tracking your goals and, and what if you're actually doing the things you say you're going to do. And so I've been using a success log. I think I may have briefly mentioned it before on the podcast, but basically I take a lot of the things that we've talked about over the last couple of years and I've, I've put them into a success log based upon what our coach Jason Selk has told me to do and sort of the variation of what he's taught me. And so basically what, what I do is every morning I sort of rate myself on the last 24 hours on, on my goals and on my process goals and whether or not I'm doing the things I, I say I'm supposed to be doing. And so it really does kind of keep you focused on what your end game is and so and focusing on the things that you need to get to your, your end goals. So I'd be happy to share this with anyone if you just uh, reach out to me on Facebook or wherever and shoot me an email. I'll send you a copy of what I have. It's in a Word document. You can edit it for yourself. Um, I'll take out some of my big goals because that's my information. You don't need to know it. So that is my tip of the week. Track your success, and uh, I think you'll do big things. Parker, thank you so much for coming on. I think you have been an amazing guest. It's been great to get to know you, so I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good week, guys. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your host and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.